Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We'll share some of our experience as counselors, business owners, and most important of all, as everyday people. Hi, and welcome to Shrink Think. This is our podcast that explores the human experience from two therapists' perspective. We use a little humor and a lot of compassion to help you understand yourself and learn new ways of being. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome to our podcast. We're here today with Brandy and Billy Eldridge. They are married. Brandy is a nonprofit executive director where she and her team provide services for abused or neglected children. And Billy is a counselor and therapist. And uh, we met them last year, actually, at the conference called Killing It Camp. And we really clicked. It was really funny. We had kind of live in opposite universes in a way. So we had great conversation. But I'd like to kick it over to you guys, Billy and Brandy, to kind of tell a little bit about yourself. Hello. Hey, guys. So glad to be here. This is Billy. And yeah, I'm a private practice therapist. I own a private practice with a friend of mine. And it was kind of cool to meet you guys because, you know, y'all do the same thing and work together. And it was always good to pick your brains. But yeah, I do that. And Brandy, she... uh, Nathan, was that you speaking earlier, introducing us? Yes. Yes, it was. You have such a beautiful, soothing voice. You like came on and you're like, well, hello, everybody. (laughs) My name is Velvet. (laughs) You know, he does have some hypnotism audio soundtracks out there for all you who are interested. (laughs) Stop it. That's actually true. Yeah, it's true. But you know, what's funny about that is I get, I get told that a lot, but it's more than I can put people to sleep, <laughs> which sucks. Not for people who have a hard time sleeping. You could do that ASMR. <laughs> yes, just whisper quietly and just random things. Well, we enjoyed meeting you guys in Colorado last year and ended up having a lot of fun conversations, a lot of deep conversations. But yeah, like you said, Nathan, we were comparing just, I think, religion, Christianity, and the regional differences that we were from parallel universes. Yeah. Us being in East Texas, we were talking about the difference. Um, Just depending on who gets elected, there's this influx of people in distress. And for us, it's usually if a more conservative person is elected, everybody's happy and and nobody's sad. But but if someone on the other side is elected, there's a lot of people coming into counseling that are really feeling disheartened for you guys. It sounded like it's the complete opposite. Yeah, it was really, really interesting to have those conversations with you guys. It was like looking in a mirror that was like reversed or like upside down. Nathan and I had so many conversations at that camp after talking with you about like, man, I just that is so weird to have such a flipped universe. But it was really interesting also to get your perspective on it. And and even though it was opposite in a lot of ways, we felt really connected to you guys because you've gone through some very similar experiences, sort of feeling on the outs or feeling disconnected from maybe larger society in a sense. So I just throw it back to you guys to talk with you about what's that been like for you living in the place that you live in? Uh, I think for me as a therapist, the probably the first question I get um, probably 90% of the time when someone calls is, are you a Christian therapist? And people want that and they want that specifically. And although I don't, that's not a label on anything. I always let people know I am a Christian 
who happens to be a therapist. Because I do a lot of work with people on the outer edges that are struggling with their faith. And if I labeled it in that way, I think I would ostracize people who felt like they couldn't come in just personally. And some of my friends, great faith-based therapists do it a different way, but it's just for me. But it does kind of put me there like, well, why aren't you? And there's some pushback there and there's some struggle. And and we've gone on through our own faith journey and it's been a lot of deconstructing things and rebuilding things. And when you're not plugged directly into a traditional faith community in our region, you are disconnected. And so we've gone through this phase of finding where we belong here and and who we connect with and who we plug in with. It can be a lonely, lonely journey. Yeah, I think for me, it has been lonely. Dilly and I both grew up in very, I don't want to say religious, but traditional, traditional backgrounds. Just, you know, we were both raised and we started dating and we were like, you couldn't watch Smurfs either. I couldn't either because our parents <laughs> said it was witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, Just a lot of those similar no, things. No secular music. No secular music. And, you know, just our parents trying to do it right. I remember we talked about one time our, both of our parents who were attending different churches, both got a hold of the same book and it was like toys that the devil promotes, or I don't even know what it was. And so both of our parents cleaned out our toy boxes and like, this is, this is the devil's toy. And we had to get rid of transformers. And I mean, like just all this stuff because they just, you know, were raising good Christian kids in the South. And (laughs) I think growing up through that, I mean, I was very much, bought into it and, you know, really, I think created or had a relationship with God from what I knew from my religious upbringing as much as I, I could. And then Billy and I went through some stuff. Billy ended up going to rehab for drugs and alcohol. And I started to question a lot of the things that I had been taught. And then we lost a baby in our third trimester. And again, just started to just things started to unravel and it wasn't an unraveling of God as much as it was an unraveling of religion. And we began to deconstruct a lot of the things that we'd been told. And I think it started probably for me, probably when I was like 16 or 17, things just didn't line up with how I viewed God, but it was what religion told me I should believe. So I did. And then just like we all do, we grow up, we question things and we weren't really allowed to question God. When you question God in the church, a lot of the response we got here um, was, well, you just need to pray about it and have more faith and things you can't understand. You know, God's mind is bigger than ours and we just have to have faith and believe because it says this. Mm-hmm. And we both kind of began to deconstruct it. And the lovely thing about my husband, I'm glad he was a therapist. Even before he was a therapist, he was a therapist. He really allowed me to go on that journey and support me when I think a lot of people would have been scared. Like, Oh my God, your wife's going to go to hell. She's questioning things. She's not doing things she's supposed to. She's quit the women's Bible studies. She stopped teaching Sunday school. And it was just kind of really having my own existential crisis. And he just really let me go through it as he was going through his, and we were both seeing things differently. Yeah. And just really began to deconstruct something to be able to construct it again. Yeah. And as a therapist, you know, I I believe it prepared me for walking with my wife through that because, you know, you know, I'm sure it's the same everywhere, but there are those big looming questions. Who am I? Why am I here? This made sense when I was younger. Now it's not making so much sense. I know for us growing up, there wasn't a lot of room for mental health. You could have a broken arm, you could you could have diabetes, but if you had anxiety, you needed to pray about it. You didn't go see a professional or you didn't get help. So there was a lot of dismissing of mental struggles. And I don't 
think it wasn't intentional, just well-meaning meaning people who were just uninformed and didn't know how to, to speak to these things. And so if you were afraid, you're not supposed to be afraid. Perfect love cast out all fear. You just pray about it. It should go away. But as a kid growing up, I had panic attacks and a lot of anxiety. And to be told that and not here, we'll get you some help. It felt very dismissive of my pain. So that started a lifelong journey of figuring out how to fix myself. And in the early days that did come through, oh, here's alcohol. You're not supposed to touch that. I drink it. All of a sudden my anxiety goes away. The world's been lying to me. I just found the cure. Well, uh, my solution became the problem pretty quickly because I didn't quite realize, even though it is a solution, it's a very poor one. And then after a back injury, moved over to prescription medication, and it was just a spiral down into chaos and addiction. And that took me out of actual society for probably about 10 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even know that about you. Thanks for thanks for being honest about that. I think this is such a great time in society and in history to be talking about these mental health struggles and just really normalizing them. And I'm excited to get into your um, beta male revolution podcast and talk about that yeah. a little bit eventually. But it's interesting hearing your story because a lot of people that come into my office say the same thing. They have the, the same experience where maybe they're raised in some sort of a religious home and they're told to believe these things and they maybe go along with it or whatever. And then they you know, get into college and they start thinking for themselves and asking a bunch of questions and they don't have any answers for those things. And so they start really separating from and questioning their faith or any kind of uh, religious beliefs they had. And then they end up feeling really betrayed and hurt by the community that raised them. So it's interesting to hear your side of it where like that community that hurt you, you're describing them as like well-intentioned people and somehow you were able to like come back around uh, to them. A lot of people over here, I think, go the other way. They feel so hurt by them and the community, I think, really promotes or encourages like thinking for yourself and, you know, moving the opposite direction. And if somebody hurt you, then get rid of them or whatever. It seems like it would be a lot harder to go back and face those people or that community that hurt you. How did you work through that? Oh, it was a long journey for me. Um, it And it really came through addiction because I was ready to walk away from it all. I was prepared parts of it, at least, at least the organizational structure of it all, still hanging on to some stuff. But when I went off to rehab, I thought I was going to find some psychological solution to my powerlessness over alcohol and drugs. And I was going to get some cognitive restructuring and they were going to rearrange me in a way that cured me. And I get there to a secular rehab with secular counselors and there's an old treatment counselor on a back porch smoking a cigarette. And he tells me, you know, you're going to have to get a relationship with some type of higher power because left to your own devices, you're going to do this stuff till you die. And that was a reality check for me that nothing inside of me was going to fix this problem because I kept creating the same problem over and over again, despite my best efforts to quit. So it was either die or find something bigger than me outside of myself to help me. So it was, it was really self-preservation <laughs> and pretty selfish and self-centered because I didn't want to die an alcoholic death. And I knew everyone around me was pointing me in this direction of you need some form of a higher power. Now, the grace they gave me, that's of your understanding. And you can find a God you can do business with. And so that's when I began to start 
piecing of parts. They gave me permission to do things I was never able to do before because there wasn't room to question. There wasn't room to dabble or, or say, you know, this isn't working. I'm going to move this part to the side. I'm going to put this part in. I'm going to question this and wrestle with this for a decade and see where that fits. And there just wasn't room to do that before. They had given me that added piece I needed to do the work I needed to do to come back around and be okay with most of it. And even though I don't participate in some of it, I'm okay with the people who do. And I'm not angry anymore because it really, at the end of the day, gave me a pretty good foundation, which to start from. I just, it didn't fit in the box anymore. So I had to get rid of the box. And I was just scared to death to get rid of the box. Yeah. I think for me, one, having Billy be able to like, just give me space to do what I needed to do. But I think I'm still wrestling with it all because we live in a community that, you know, the first thing people ask you is what church do you go to? It's just assumed that you show up for church and um, it's assumed your ideas are all conservative because, you know, we like to say we live in the Bible Belt, but we say we live in the buckle of the Bible Belt, which is really interesting because you guys live in the probably the most liberal. Not the Bible Belt. Exactly. The opposite of whatever that is. We live in the boot. We live in the boot, the heel of the boot. Yeah. And so when we, I felt like for us, I felt like for me, we had to hide a lot of our questions and a lot of the way that we were starting to believe from everyone, our family, our friends, like we couldn't tell them what we were going through or what we were feeling and thinking because it was not accepted here. And I'm sure there were a lot of people praying for us that thought we were heretics or whatever. And it was just really, it's a strange feeling to be isolated in a town where you know everyone. And really just kind of had to play the part for a while. I mean, we, we definitely continued to go to church. We continued to stay in our community groups. We continued to do that and just kind of spoke with each other about things that we were feeling. And still we are involved in a church that's given us permission to question. And they know that, you know, here in town, Billy and Brandy are probably those wild liberals, which is crazy because we don't know what we are. And I hate labels. We're just trying to figure it out. But there were you know, groups of friends that I still feel uncomfortable with being able to express my true feelings about things and where I am spiritually or what my conservative beliefs have turned into because everyone here is in a women's study group and a Bible study and that's how you get to know people. And um, so it is a little different because nobody's reading the same books I'm reading. There's not very many people that are listening to Nadia Boltz Weber in East Texas or Rob Bell. And if they are, they're heretics. So we had to keep a lot of that quiet for a while. But I think now we're just kind of like, this is who we are. I still have fear because of being in an organization. I'm an executive director and in a place of leadership, you are watched and looked at. And if you have too outlandish of views, you can be very much disregarded quickly. And I don't want that on my family or my my organization that I work with. And I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we got somebody that called us and talked to us about our podcast and said, we weren't really keeping our children in mind when we were talking about issues that had to deal with LGBTQ because our kids make it made fun of at school because that's not the community we're in, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, man, if you're a person of faith right now, like living in the Pacific Northwest and you're hearing Brandy and Billy, you're like, whoa, that's different. And one of the things, some of the clients that I've came into, it's interesting earlier, you were talking, Billy, I think about the whole idea of persons calling 90% of the people are asking you if you're a Christian or not. That does happen here. It's not as high of a percentage, but it's interesting because the question 
could mean two things. If you are really, and you're going to talk about it very much, then we're not going to see you. Um, or if you are, then we're only going to see you. And then what, but what, if, what flavor does that mean? Do you use the Bible or do you not? There's a bunch of stuff with it. How you folks are raised with the toys thing is kind of interesting. And I guess where I'm going with this is there's a group of folks up here in the Pacific Northwest. And I, they're in my group, I mean, they're they're not necessarily all together by any stretch, but they kind of are similar, right? You know, you don't watch SpongeBob. There's a lot of different things like that. But those folks up here get super isolated. Mm. They kind of do bind together a bit because of that, actually. I was wondering, when did you guys meet? Because it sounds like, you know, you had <laughs> a lot of stuff is similar. <laughs> do, you, do you want to get into that story? Sure. <laughs> Let's well, jump in. We both grew up in the same town and both had similar friends, attended a lot of the same activities, but never met each other until we went off to college. And his roommate that he went off to college with, I was dating. And his roommate was also friends, best friends with the girl he was dating. So we met in college at the University of Arkansas. This is Arkansas. Everybody's really close. <laughs> and How we, close are you? <laughs> well, you're about to find out. I guess so. we're related. Uh, None, uh, you, uh, no, <laughs> we, we probably lived two, three miles from each other growing up and didn't, had never met, but had the exact friends, attended things and parties. We looked back and it was just very serendipitous that we never met. When I was in the second grade, our house needed a culvert dug and her dad is an excavator. And he's the guy that came out and helped my dad dig a culvert in the second grade. And I never met her. (laughs) Anyway, so we um, became really good friends in college and Billy was just good time. Billy Billy was a lot of fun. When drunk Billy came out, everybody wanted to be around him. Like he was just good time Billy. In college, drunk Billy is a good time. Married to drunk Billy is a different story. (laughs) (laughs) But he was just, we just had a really good time and we stayed friends for a long time. And he got engaged to his girlfriend. I got engaged to my boyfriend. My boyfriend and I broke up. Billy and his girlfriend got married Mm -hmm. and I was the maid of honor at that wedding. Yeah. This is getting better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's getting uh, hot. (laughs) If our audience wants to pause and uh, start the popcorn, I think now is probably a good time. (laughs) Well, yes, yes. Pull out the popcorn guys. (laughs) They, um, they were good friends of mine and his wife and I were friends and I left. They stayed where our hometown is and I took off for 10 or 11 years. I moved back because I had a health issue and bought a little house here and his wife and he were friends of mine. And I always popped back in when I'd visit my parents, I'd always go and say hi to them because they were my good friends from college. And then I'll let Billy take it from there. She says she had a health issue. She had a brain tumor. So, um, she had moved back home and she was going back and forth to MD Anderson to get treatments for that. I was deep in my alcoholism and addiction by that point, and I was given an ultimatum in my first marriage that if you don't stop drinking, I've got to leave. And my answer was, um, uh, no, I, I'm not going to do that. And and she did leave. And I, I think my answer at the time should have been, I can't do that. I think it was perceived as defiance. And I would have thought that too, but it really was powerlessness. I wanted to quit. I was done with drinking, but drinking wasn't done with me. And so, you know, we had married in high school. We had grown up. And, and that's what you do here. You get married because, you know, you, you can't have sex before marriage. So you have to get married really early because you really want to have sex. <laughs> and and you're just holding out as long as you can. So by 19, you're going down the aisle. So, you know, I find that rushes a lot of people before they know who they are into that. So anyway, that, that happened and, and that marriage dissolved. And I thought really... 
at that time, that marriage was the problem. And if I got out of, if, if that marriage went away and I didn't believe in divorce and it broke my heart and I was like, this guy, like divorce is not an option. You know, I'll just be miserable for the rest of my life. But I say now she gave me the gift of divorce, and, and I'm so grateful that she was able to do what needed to be done because that set me on the path to change. Because I thought once she was gone, surely I would get better and I wouldn't drink and use drugs anymore because I was in a dysfunctional relationship, and that's the reason I did that. Turns out I was the problem, not the relationship. And yeah, Brandy said I'm still the problem sometimes. Um, just not that kind of problem. But Mm-hmm. Brandy was a good friend of mine, and she had moved back in back in town. And we started hanging out, and one thing led to another. Yeah. So one night, with a little bit of help from alcohol, we ended up having our first date, and then uh, six weeks later, we were married. And yeah. seven weeks after that, we were pregnant with our first kid, and we just hadn't stopped yet. <laughs> so we've known each other over twenty years. We hadn't had time to look back. We may not even like each other. We're not sure. <laughs> It wasn't a brand new relationship. It was. It sounds like it was really just picking up kind of where time had been slowly taking you. Yeah. yeah. Billy, he was just a really good friend. I can honestly say there was never, like, I never looked at Billy like, oh, he's kind of cute if he'd break yeah. up with us. We just, yeah. we, we grew up, we had similar backgrounds. We, we were friends in college. I visited them when I would come home from college. I visited them when I was moving all over the world. And they were just good friends of mine. And so after Billy and his wife were going through this divorce, we just hung out like we did in college. And I remember Billy like tried to hold my hand one time and I was like, Oh no, like you're college Billy. Like we're just friends. Like that's not the way it would go. And I will tell you, it's a little, probably more than he wanted to know, but it was a pretty good line. Billy said to me, he walked me to my door and he said, can I kiss you? And I was like, no, 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 no. That's, that's messing with fire. We don't want to go there. And he walked away with such confidence and looked back at me and he goes, well, one of these days you're going to ask me to kiss you. And I went, wow, where did that come from? And I, I said, come on back here. Let's try it out. And that was it. I mean, it was, we weren't friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the nature of the relationship changed at that moment. And I always tell people a beautiful life unfolded in spite of me. I mean, I did everything wrong. Um, if somebody came into my office as a therapist and said, I just got out of a divorce, I have this best <laughs> friend, we've been hanging out for two weeks, and I think we might want to get married. Yeah, um, in the next I five weeks. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them what to do, but I would start pointing out some possible dysfunctional patterns <laughs> um, in that decision making. But man, I wouldn't want any other life in the world than to be married to this person right here in front of me. And I don't think things could have been done any different. Things unfolded in the way they needed to be done. Sounds like you've really come to peace with yourself. I mean, the way you you talk about your mistakes and about the problems that were in your life. And even, you know, when you said I was the problem, I don't hear like self-hatred or shame around that. It really just is kind of like a, a matter of fact, understanding like I was doing some things that I shouldn't have been doing. There was some things about me that really needed to get worked on. And I've really come to terms with those. What's your relationship with yourself like now? And how has that changed your relationship with Brandy? I'm going to answer that yeah. before he can. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to her answering. No, I'm no. just kidding. Go ahead. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about Billy that challenges me to be a better person is he works such a good recovery program. And we both found a relationship with God in those rooms of recovery. And 
recovery teaches you to just every single day, almost minute by minute, be thankful and, and own your part of it. Um, we like Billy likes to say, and I use all of his recovery terms, but one of them is what's the one we always say, clean your side side of the street. And, and he does that. So when we're arguing, we can get really like, it's your fault, you know, start going down that list of checklist of who's keeping score. And Billy will be the first one to say, I'm sorry, this is what I did in it. This is what I did with it. And it really makes me mad sometimes. Cause I know what he's doing to say, you own your part, I'll own mine. And I don't want to own my part, but he, he is the most self-reflective person I know. And that's the truth. And sorry, he really challenges me to be a better person and for our family to be a better family. And just to walk in this place of knowing your, your stretches, but then really working in your strengths and just to be kind to people and love people. And I'm just really in awe of him a lot and how self-reflective and self-involved he is constantly. Thank you, sweetheart. That's choking me up a little bit. Thank you. Well, for me, uh, I grew up in East Texas and it's football and it's hunting and those things never came naturally to me. And so I felt like I didn't fit in and I was a little more sensitive and my emotions seemed to ride a little higher. Uh, Fear, anxiety, those aren't considered necessarily masculine, strong emotions. And so I had to find a way to hide them. And my armor came in the form of alcohol and drugs. And eventually that almost ate me from the outside in. But recovery gave me this ability to be more authentic and be okay with who I am. I'm a little more emotional. I'm a little more sensitive. And that's okay. I can be both. I can be a hard-charging, arrogant, egotistical human being. That's unhealthy. I can also be a shame-ridden, no good, I'm a piece of crap kind of person. But I've found in recovery a way to get in the middle of that. And I'm just a human among humans. I'm who I'm created to be. And if I do that, everything's going to be okay. And it really taught me to be forgiving of others and to be real self-forgiving too. And that didn't happen overnight. I carried a lot of shame and a lot of guilt for everything that went on in my twenties and in early thirties. Um, but I began to let that go and take the lessons that I learned. And it gives me a view into, into life that, that I'm appreciative of today. I so appreciate you sharing that. Both of you really, you had me really touched, Brandy, when you got emotional there. I love hearing that because I think so many times we're afraid that being vulnerable and being broken or having mistakes, you know, people are going to reject us. They're not going to like us. They're not going to accept us anymore. They're going to think that there's you know something wrong with us or whatever, because that's how we feel about ourselves. But hearing you say, Brandy, that it's inspiring the way that he's honest with himself and that he works to forgive himself and then he treats other people that way, I think is just such a great encouragement. And really, from my perspective, this is definitely something that was inspiring about the two of you when we met is, you know, connecting with that, like, honesty, humble, inspiring, like, I'm a real person who's done some real hard stuff and yet I'm okay. Um, 
the fact, Brandy, that you said that really, really came through. And I, I hope that's really encouraging for our, our audience members to see that you don't have to have it all together, that you can be a real person and have real struggles because we all do. And there's something really inspiring about that. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about too is that, and I want to give you, Brandy, the space to respond to this because how you come across when we met you folks last year is kind of as a hard charger with a lot of inner strength and a lot of like a lot of ambition and but but also very curious i was thinking you know you had to have intentionally given billy the space to do the work that he needed to do and that could not have been easy that's a great question i i do come off pretty assertive and that's why I'm, we have the beta male revolution podcast because he's my beta male and I'm the alpha in the relationship. And I do say a lot, but I, I mean it. I think it takes a very strong man to be married to a strong, assertive woman because his ego is not in front of him all the time. He's not, you know, telling me I need to submit and I need to uh, listen to him because he's the head of it. Right. Like he's really, a, Good luck. we have to tell each other. Yeah, we, right. That didn't, when he tried that, it didn't work very well for him, but he also doesn't seem like he's invisible either. He's strong with you. No, that's what I'm saying. He is strong and, and he is a little more passive about things. When I get upset, he's going to know it right away. You know, he's going to know exactly what I'm thinking. I'm not going to hold my feelings in. I want to talk about it. I want to be done with it. Cause I want to move on and have a good time. And Billy will, he'll think about it more. He'll internalize things more. He'll hold it in inside. And so because he is a little bit, you know, more sensitive and more analytical and, and internal about things, it comes off as different. But for me, he's very strong. He's, I'd like to call him my oak tree. Like he's just steady where I can be up and down and all over the place and have all these fantastic ideas and never follow through with them. He's that oak tree. He's, he's the, he's the string on the helium balloon. I'm the helium balloon. And he kind of brings me back down to earth. So it's a, it's a really good yin and yang. It's a really good alpha beta and having that time for him when he was going through his growth process, when he came back from rehab, I did not like him. I was going to divorce him. I just didn't have enough money in our bank account to do it at the time. And I really watched his growth. I really watched him try. And that kind of brought me back around, but we didn't, the hardest part of our marriage was the two years after he got out of rehab of getting to know him again, him getting to know the new me who was resentful and hurt and scared, really scared and overwhelmed because we had kids and I was having to hold everything down. And Billy was like a baby Christian. He just found his new religion. And it was a process for two years. We went through counseling and really worked it out, but came out on the other side. And I don't know if I allowed it so much as I just didn't have time to deal with him anymore. So I'd like to say it's, you know, I was very heroic in the whole thing, but no, I just, one, I couldn't afford to divorce him. And, and two, I was just, I was just trying to keep my shit together. Yeah. Well, and she says that she doesn't take enough credit because at about three months pregnant, she drove me up to a treatment center and dropped me off. And she showed up to my family day, one of the hardest days. I want to call it lose your family day. Don't let them trick you into family day or rehab. It's not a pleasant experience. <laughs> it's basically where everybody comes in and, and shares with you how you've disappointed them. I'm so glad I did that in an insulated environment and I needed to be isolated and insulated at that time. And she showed up 
And she picked me up and she brought me home and, and she did the hard work it took and in learning how to live with a new version of me because I hadn't felt much for a decade. And then all of a sudden, it's like my emotional nerve endings were exposed and everything felt so raw and the slightest thing and the slightest bump or emotional slight felt like a thousand pounds weighing down on my chest. And so I did have to go through this process of learning to live in my skin without being in an altered state. So I think she kind of puts it in a way where, where she doesn't take enough credit for the fact that we, we hung in there and, and there were some circumstantial things that that let us hang on. It was hanging on by a thread. Mm -hmm. And it's like the wind could have blown and it could have been over. But the miracle to me, the real miracle, and I grew up always wanting to see miracles, is that it didn't. I mean, what kept it from tipping to the left and snapping? To me, that's the thread. That's the spiritual foundation that you can't find anywhere else because we are a marriage that should not exist. Mm -hmm. I am a guy that shouldn't be involved in his kids' lives. But I am. And to me, that's the good, good stuff. But for the grace of God, go I. I. I always thought, what if it were me? And once I got education on alcoholism and addiction, I thought, what if that were me? And what if Billy had to drop me off at rehab and he had two kids at home, two small kids at home? Like, what would I want him to do? And when I finally listened, but for the grace of God, go I. If the shoe was on the other foot, I'd want him to fight for me. I'd want him to fight through it as much as he could till he couldn't anymore. So that's, it was, it was a thread, but it was, but for the grace of God, go I. Wow. That's an amazing compassion too, you know, for yourself and for one another and just a beautiful story. I really appreciate you guys coming on our show and, and sharing about that. We're getting close to being done on time here, but I'd love to hear just as you're saying all this stuff, I'm thinking, man, you've been through so much stuff and now here you are, you've got a couple of businesses you're running and You've got this podcast. What an amazing story to go from where you were to where you are now in your marriage and your family and then with your business ventures. So tell us a little bit about your podcast and what that's all about. So we have Beta Male Revolution. That's a podcast for beta males, beta in individuals, the people who love them and the alphas who enjoy their company. <laughs> We're not anti anything. And we kind of created, it's a play on words. It's kind of a tongue in cheek type of thing. We're not like scientifically, there are betas and alphas in the world. It's just a way for us to frame our relationship. And the biggest work probably came from me getting okay, being a a more beta guy, what you would consider, and me learning to wear that and what that looked like in the world. And so out of that came this podcast. We don't know where it's going. We don't know what we're doing, but we show up in front of the mic and we get to talk to some of the coolest people in the world like you guys. Uh, I get to have my counseling practice and do work in the world that fits me. I was in construction for years and I was a square peg in a round hole. I didn't belong in that field. I finally found my thing. And then Brandy gets to work with a nonprofit CASA and the Children's Advocacy Center and, and be a part of that work that helps people find hope and, and justice and therapy uh, when they've been through some of the most horrific experiences a child can go through. So the fact that we get to do this stuff is a gift. Every day I get to wake up and, and put one foot in front of the other. Life is more chaotic now than ever. But I was a guy who the bank was taking my house. My in-laws were dropping off diapers because I couldn't afford to buy them. And I, and I thought, 
this is it. And there's nothing else left in life for me. So the fact that I get to do this, man, I'm so grateful. That is really cool. So how, how can people find your podcast? www.betamailrevolution.com. We're on Spotify, Apple, Podbay. I just found I out we're on Podbay. Where, all the, all the, all the big <laughs> ones they go out to. I, I don't know where at all. But yeah, um, you know, if you want to hear more about our story, go down to episode one. And, and we dig in and we get a lot into Brandy, the alpha story, too. And you get to hear how she grew up. You know, in San Francisco, a single mom and those struggles she had. So, yeah, check out the podcast. There's a free e-course. If you don't know what a beta male is or you think you might live with one, um, <laughs> there's a there's an e-course uh, on there that unfolds some of that. OK. How are you found on social media? We're on Facebook. Just type in beta male revolution, Instagram. Um, I don't know what it beta is. Male but beta male revolution. Beta male revolution. You'll find us. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank you very much for joining our show. This has just been a pleasure, and I know everybody's really enjoyed it. Uh, again, thank you for being with us today. Thank, thank you, guys. you guys so much. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course.